as we come before you. The prayer of our heart is that we would be able to surrender all to you. Lord Jesus, as you are worthy alone of that. These men have sung this song for us, Lord. It reminds us of the text that we'll be looking at today. That whatever to our gain we count it as loss. I pray, Lord, that um, this would be a, a prayer each one of us would offer this day as we seek to hear what you have to say to us. And we pray it in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Well, I wonder, is, is anybody here like 8 or 10 years old, something like that? 11? Anybody? Okay. Well, I want to introduce you and everybody else to a special friend of mine. And his name is Wilfred Hart. And it was when I was about your age that I first met Wilfred Hart. And he was and is still in South Africa. So, Wilfred, if you'd come up, I'd love to be able to have you be able to speak to this next group of kids. And I remember as a very young boy hearing his voice and thinking, oh, wow, what a wonderful voice to listen to. And he came and spent some time with me on Friday. And so we had a chance to share some time together. And Wilfred, how good to see you. Thank you. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you, Pastor. Oh. It's a real, real joy to me to be here at Calvary again. I've had connections with Calvary for the last 60 years. I think there are some here who've been longer than that. But it's a wonderful to come back to my home church. Although I only come here occasionally because I live in South Africa. But I thank the Lord for his goodness to me. Uh, I've come this time to the States because I have two daughters here. They live in North Carolina. And they invited me to come over to celebrate my 90th birthday with them. I also had the privilege of have my younger daughter come with me just for two weeks to celebrate with the family. And it's wonderful to be here. And I came up just for a few days to my home church. I've regarded this as my home church all my missionary career. I served the Lord for 43 years in South Africa and I retired 23 years ago. And so it's wonderful to be here. And this is a very, very dear place to me because uh, so much you, you as a church have been kind to me and helped support me all the days of my, uh, of my Christian life almost. I was saved when I was 17 and I entered the ministry when I was 22. Can I, I interrupt think, you? Big one? Would you please tell us the story of how you came to trust Jesus as your savior? Well, it was two, two young men 
in the boarding house. I was working in the government service at the time and they invited me to come to their church, to a Baptist church. And a missionary from Ethiopia spoke that night and seven of us, I think it was, who responded to the Lord and seven of us have uh, landed up in the ministry. Yeah. Amen. Wonderful. And my word to you, dear folk here, I say, since we have so great a crowd of witnesses, we should run with patience or with perseverance the race that is set before us. It is our choice. It's God never forces us, but it, I, I just long for each of us to persevere in that look, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, the perfecter of our faith. You know, this is one of the blessings of being a widower. Ever since my wife died, she died nine years ago after being married 54 years. And it has given me a chance to look closer and daily to the Lord. And I have grown in my faith because it's become so personal to me. I have no one to talk to but to the Lord. And every day is that communion. And let I say to you, dear folks, practice the presence of Christ. Amen. Amen. It is so sweet. <laughs> Amen. Wilfred doesn't get by here just every day. I wonder if you, if you remember Wilfred having a touch in your life over the last 60 years, would you stand? God, I praise you for this man, and I praise you with those of us who are standing here, recognizing, and I know that Wilfred would be the first to say, it wasn't him, it was Christ in him. And I thank you for a faithful servant. And I thank you that you've allowed us this special moment to hear from him, Lord, and to be encouraged by him. Lord, I thank you for his example of faithfulness. And I love, Lord, that he says he's still growing to know you more each day. Lord, I pray that would be the case for each one of us. I pray that once again, you would have used Wilfred to inspire us that each one of us would be able to stand and say that your testimony through this man has made a difference in our lives and in our world because of your love, Jesus Christ. And we praise you in your precious name. Amen. 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 Amen, Amen. Amen dear friend. I don't know I don't know what it would have been like to live during the times of the New Testament but I can't help but wonder if maybe when
Paul or John or Peter would come back and visit churches if it didn't have this kind of a feel. And some of us here have never met Wilfred. We have no idea who he is. And some of us have a big fingerprint on our lives because of him. But what an amazing testimony. Amen? If each one of us, when we were 90, could say, we're walking with the Lord and growing to know him more and more. Wilfred, I am so grateful that you are here with us today. And it's good to have you here. Okay, kids, I wanted you to see that, but now I'm going to release you to your, uh, to your uh, children's church. There we go. All right. And you thought that would be easy to say, didn't you? And we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 3. You'll remember last week we looked at the end of Philippians chapter 2 and we looked at Timothy and Epaphroditus and the examples that, that they were. And, um, and then this week God gives us a, a living example for that among us. As I've been thinking about this passage in Philippians 3 and studying it this week, I've, I've come to a place in, in my heart and in my life where I've, I've come to realize that I spend a whole lot of time trying to either be right or prove that I'm right. Anybody else like that here? You know, that you just, you know, and it, and it comes up in the most bizarre and strange ways that I just, I need to be right. This morning, um, you know, Karen came to me, and, and we, have, uh, we have recycle bins in the garage, and, and Karen came up to me and she said, how long have we had the recycling bins in the house? I perceived that that wasn't the real question. I thought to myself, I think there's more. <laughs> and she said, how long have we had the recycling bins in the house and how long have they been on exactly the same place? You see, they're, they're in the garage and, and the answer's 20 years. They're, they're in the garage and papers on the left. Okay, plastics on the left and papers on the right, depending on which way you're standing. And, and so she said, how long have they been that way? Again, I perceived this wasn't the exact question. So I began to think over the last 24 hours of what had transpired in my life and realized that indeed... In a magnanimous gesture, I had taken the recyclables out. But apparently, somehow made a, a, an error in putting them where they belonged. And, and so she said to me, I have better things to do than to reorganize the recyclables. <laughs> Every week. And I'm like, really, I think this is the first time this has ever happened. Two at the most, no more than three, ten tops. <laughs> I was really trying to think of a time they weren't there. But here's the deal. They're behind a curtain. Because you don't want people seeing the recycling bins in the garage, right? And, and so 
I was trying desperately to think of ways that I could be right in this situation. Still working on that. <laughs> so plastics on the left. Okay. You know, that, that kind of thing can cause major strife in relationships, you know? If we didn't adore each other so much, that could have been a week of not talking to each other. And there's times in our relationship where it was. Because the need to be right can stand in the way of, of us allowing others to, to be considered as more highly than ourselves. See, Paul has been talking to this church in Philippi about, listen, you've been rescued and you've been redeemed and, and that should make a difference in the way you live. And the more important thing is not whether or not you're right, it's whether or not you're righteous. And there's a big difference between being right and being righteous. See, a righteous person would take great care to remember which side these go on. <laughs> So we look at our text today. And it says this in Philippians chapter 3, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it's a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, and who glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence, Paul says. If anyone else thinks that he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes by God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain resurrection from the dead. Father, God, as we come to you and we open your word, once again, there's an opportunity for your word to read us, for us, Lord, to hear from you and, and for you to shape and change our lives. Each one of us, Lord, needs to grow in our knowledge of you. And it's through your word that that happens. So I pray, as Wilfred has shared, that we'd throw off everything that would encumber and that we'd fix our eyes on you. So, Lord, for this period of time as we look at your word, have your word read us and reveal to us all that you need for us to learn today. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. As we strive in our lives to be right, it can happen in many different ways. I remember when I was 19, I got a job at Nestle's, and, and it was a great job. And 
that was back in the time where when you got hired in a place like that, they'd take care of you your whole life. You'd get your retirement plan, and, and you'd, you know, you'd be all good to go. And, and so my parents told me how great this job was. And so I was working third shift and packing uh, iced tea at the time. But when you started at Nestle's, they would tell you at that point, I don't know if it's still this way now, that you could eat as much candy as you wanted because they were pretty sure that if you ate a bunch of candy the first few days, you wouldn't eat any after that. And, and, and they were right, you know, the first three days you'd go home so sick, you'd, you know. And, and so, so it was a great job, and I, and I, I loved working there. And, and um, they had an, a rule that you couldn't take any candy home with you, okay? Seems like a good rule, I, I guess, you know. And so there was a locker room that we would change in. And so one day after about three months or so, I was in the locker room and, and somebody came up to me and said, hey, would you take this out for me? And he handed me a bag of candy bars. And I said, okay. <laughs> right? So I put them under my coat and I went into the, into the cafeteria to buy a soda. And as I was buying the soda, the candy bars fell out of my coat right in front of a table filled with foreman. <laughs> Rats, Ingi, what's that all about? So immediately, I started thinking, how can I present myself as being right in this situation? Okay, and I didn't have much to go on. But I put the candy bars on the table in front of the foreman, and I said, you're probably not going to believe this, but these weren't for me. I was going to hand them to somebody else when I walked outside, and, and I left. And... The next day, I was called into the security office so that they could review this situation. And uh, so I prepared my defense. It was shaky, Ed. It was not the best defense. So as it ended up, I really didn't have much to stand on. I, I repeated my claim that it wasn't for me, and it was a momentary loss of, of good judgment, and I'm only 19, so you should expect that. Um, in retrospect, that probably wasn't the best argument either, but, right, and so all I could do is throw myself on the mercy of these men as they were making this decision, helping them understand I didn't know why I did it, and I wasn't doing it for myself, and, and really I'm a good guy, and, and I can stand before you, and I can be right, and, and you know, well, obviously I'm not working at Nestle's anymore. So the, the grace and mercy was not there, and in retrospect, it shouldn't have been. But I think for each one of us, when things happen to us and we begin to think of what does it mean to be right, as I spent that day wondering what it was going to be like to go and, and plead my case in front of the security men, I wasn't rejoicing. I was in great anguish. I was overwhelmed with guilt and shame and fear and all of the things that come when you don't feel righteous. Anybody ever felt anything like that in your life? Okay. Well, our... our our text today helps us understand that, that the gospel brings rejoicing. And I put a verse in there from Psalms. It says, Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing all you who are upright in heart. So you can rejoice in righteousness. When, when you feel like you're righteous, it brings rejoicing. Psalm 132, it says in verse 9, May, you pre may your priests be clothed with righteousness. 
May your saints sing for joy. May your priests be clothed with righteousness. And later it says, I will clothe the priests with salvation. And the saints will ever be rejoicing. So there's this idea that rejoicing comes in righteousness. But how do we, how do we become righteous? Well, our big idea for today is being righteous before God brings rejoicing. Being righteous before God brings rejoicing. So what does it mean to be righteous before God? And Paul starts by saying, Finally, brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write these same things to you again. And in there, we get a little glimpse of something. See, a lot of times we, we're like, maybe this was the only letter that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. I think that little phrase helps us realize that there were other letters that he wrote to them. One, two, five, who knows? Paul was one who wrote letters pretty regularly. And we understand and know that that certain of these letters and other the Gospels and other things have been preserved for us by the Holy Spirit, moving through men so that we can be sure that this is the word of God that God wanted us to have. This is the, the truth that he's given us to know, but there were things that were written before. And this gives us a glimpse that those things that he wrote before were so important that he wrote them again. And so it's even more important for us to grab hold of the teachings that are in this letter because he said that it's a safeguard for you. So the first thing we see is that we, we must guard our hearts. There's a, a safeguard that's needed. And these things that, that Paul has written, he's written so that they could be pro protected and, and so can we in the same way. And the way this plays out in our lives is each one of us has things we listen to, things that we read, things that we process. There's all these voices that come into our lives that are telling us things. And, and Paul's saying, it's good for me to write these things to you again. See, it's important for us to understand that we need to spend time in the Word of God. We need to spend time reading these truths. We need to spend time hearing these truths if we're going to guard our hearts, if we're going to have a safeguard for ourselves. There's a Casting Crown song that says, Out of all the voices calling out to me, I will choose to listen and believe the voice of truth. So what is the voice of truth? And, and out of all the voices that call out to you, are you spending time reading the things that are of God so that you have a safeguard for your heart? The second thing we see as we're considering this fact of being righteous before God brings rejoicing, the second thing we see is that self-righteous efforts fall short. Self-righteous efforts fall short. And Paul opens this up by saying, watch out for those dogs, those mutilators of the flesh. And it seems, maybe you notice, it seems that the tone of the letter has made a switch. Okay, he's been writing this intimate letter to people that he cares deeply for, and the tone of the letter has been one thing, and all of a sudden, it's clear that Paul has some emotion behind this. Okay, when he starts talking about this particular group of people, there's some emotion and I think Paul steps into protection mode. Now, as we read this, we say, oh, man, that's pretty harsh that he's calling these people dogs, you know? But we need to understand at this point in time that 
that what was commonly thought, and you'll remember the story of Jesus with a woman, and, and she said, but even dogs get to eat the scraps. It wasn't a derogatory thing in the way that we think of it. Rather, it was just the Jewish people considered the Gentiles to be dogs. They, they considered it that way. And so that was part of the, of the culture at that point in time. So as Paul steps into this here and says, watch out for those dogs, he's talking about the Judaizers at this point. And, and in an interesting turn, he's saying that, that Gentile believers can actually be impacted by others who, who are not of the same, and that those people are the dogs. Those are the people who are outside of the, of the, of the relationship with God. And, and then he begins to talk about that in light of circumcision. And what we need to understand is at this point in time, when the, scriptures, when the scripture we're looking at was written, the Jews were struggling with understanding the new covenant. Okay, they were struggling with understanding the new covenant. We've talked about that, how, how the, the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament as we call them, were, were so rich for the Jewish people. And they're struggling to understand what is this new covenant that's happening that Jesus has put in place. And it's a constant wrestle for them. During the 400 years that, that God chose not to speak through a prophet from Malachi to John the Baptist, and, and in those 400 years when he did not speak through a prophet, Judaism was birthed. And, and, and in that religion, there was Pharisees and Sadducees, and those things were put in place within the, the, the silence of God. And, and it missed the point of the message of the Hebrew Scriptures in some ways. In the distortion, the beauty of circumcision had been lost. Rather than it being a sign from God, it had become a sign of human achievement. And so in this period of time, the beauty of what God designed circumcision to be was distorted. Circumcision of the flesh was what was valued. And God, in so many places in Scripture, Deuteronomy and Jeremiah, talked about a longing for there to be a circumcision of the heart, a cutting away of the old and a giving of the heart to the Lord. And in the gospel of Christ, true circumcision of the heart is now possible in a way it never was before. And Paul gives us three identifying characteristics of what that means. And that's what he means when he says, it is we who are the circumcision. It means that, that it's not that we're the Jewish people, but rather, we are the ones who have circumcised our hearts. And how do we do that? And, and how, does it, how does it reveal itself? You understand and know, again, that Philippians is, is, is based on the gospel. It's all about the gospel and proclaiming the gospel and finding joy in the, in the proclamation and the acceptance of the gospel in whatever situation we're in. The gospel is the good news that Jesus came, that he lived, that he died, and that he rose again. And that he's coming back to take us onto himself. Amen? And, and so as we look at that and we understand that gospel, and if you come to a place where you've, by God, understood that and, and have been converted, that you've become a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. And because of that, the Holy Spirit is in you. And so the defining characteristics of those who are part of the true circumcision, those who have genuinely been converted, are, are number one, they worship in spirit. 
we, we who are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit enters the life of us as believers at the moment we trust him. And, and that exchange occurs between trusting myself and trusting God. And in that moment, a person's able to truly worship God for who he is because he's within us. And so one who's been truly converted worships in spirit. And secondly, they glory in Jesus Christ. Glory in Christ Jesus. So the, the glory, the spotlight in your life is on Christ and what he's done for you and what he's doing for you. You radiate Christ and you boast in Christ and what Christ is doing and how Christ is sustaining you and, and how Christ is, is making himself evident in your life. And there's an understanding that only what is done through and for Christ matters. And third, they place no confidence in the flesh. A believer realizes that it's in Christ alone that hope is found. That it's not Jesus and something else, it's Jesus alone. There's nothing that a person has that has any value apart from Christ. There's nothing in my humanness that can bring me into a right standing with God. And so there's no boasting about anything I have of my own that has made me right before God. And Paul says, if you're wondering whether or not this is true, let me express to you that of all the people that you've met, and I'm putting words in his mouth, I could boast about this. Because there's seven things that I could tell you that, that are how, how hard I worked to achieve righteousness on my own. There's seven things in my life, four of which just happened by my birth, and three which were choices that I made. The first one, he was circumcised on the eighth day. That, that Paul, when he was born, his parents took him to be circumcised just as the law required on the eighth day, which, which stepped him into exactly doing what he needed to do. He was born of the people of Israel, the chosen people. He was, he was born of the chosen people. He was of the tribe of ben Benjamin, which is even, even more special because Benjamin and Judah, the two tribes that stayed truest to the Lord the longest, and, and they, were, they were part of, of, of the nation of Judah and, and stayed with the Davidic kingdom. And, and so, so tribe of Benjamin, and then a Hebrew of Hebrews. In this day and age, there were there were, because of the diaspora, the Jews were scattered. And so many of them were influenced by the cultures they were in. And they became more Hellenistic or more Greek thinking in their mindset. But Paul stayed true to, to true Judaism. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. And in regard to the law of Pharisee, he studied the law intimately and well. And he knew it. And he memorized scripture. And he memorized the law and, he, and he, he taught the law. He was a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. See, Paul was, was so convinced that, that what he was doing as he was following the Hebrew scriptures and, the, and all of the writings that came from there, he was so convinced that this is what God was calling him to do and so convinced that this was how to have a right standing with God that he was doing whatever he could to protect that. As for legalistic righteousness, faultless. He was faultless in his legalistic righteousness. He had done everything he could to be acceptable or righteous before God. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus talks about that. 
In Matthew chapter 5, in the midst of the, the sermon that was given on the mount, he talks about the fulfillment of the law. And he talks about anyone who breaks the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Listen, the law is critical and it's important and it's, and it's real and we need to be obeying. But it's not the obedience of that that gives us a right standing before God. Jesus says, I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. The righteousness had to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. And listen, as I've been studying this and, and getting to know Paul, if I could put it that way, this guy's amazing. I mean, from the time he's born, he's got passion for God. He's doing whatever he can to, to have himself be right before God. He's working so hard to have a right standing before God. And he's given over to that with all that he has. And so when he says that, listen, I have, I have reasons to put confidence in the flesh. He's letting them know, listen, I've worked at this harder than you could imagine. It lets us ask the questions for ourselves. What is it that you think will give you a right standing before God? We sing a song that says, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless stand before the throne. Okay, at some point in time, each one of us will breathe our last and we will end up before the throne of God. And you will either be exposed bare before him, scripture tells us, or you will be dressed in his righteousness. So what are, you, what are you planning on presenting to God? What are the things that you're trusting in to make you righteous before him? And you see how being righteous is much different than being right. It's not a matter of, I didn't lie a lot. I didn't steal very much. I didn't hurt anybody intentionally. I didn't, that's, that's me before the security team at Nestle. And I have no right standing. And Paul says, whatever you've done in the flesh, even if you've done it with all your heart and worked as hard as you could, it, it's meaningless. And then he goes on to one of the most beautiful passages of scripture there is. He says, whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. He says, I look at all those things that I've done and this is 30 years later, some 30 years later that he's writing this since that moment when he met Christ. And, and some 30 years later, he says, whatever was to my profit, I consider loss for the sake of Christ. All of those things that I did, all of those things that I gave myself to, all those things that still come up inside of me, I consider those loss. He says, as a matter of fact, what is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. This is the only time in all of Paul's writings that he says, Christ Jesus, my Lord. He personalizes it. And I love that he says, here I am some 30 years later, and I'm still growing in knowing my Lord. He's 
telling us that it's important that we move beyond knowing God from a distance. True righteousness comes by faith. True righteousness comes by faith. And, and without true righteousness, we keep Jesus at a distance. The lepers, there were 10 lepers. Do you remember when, when Jesus healed 10 lepers? And, and lepers were not allowed to be near people. And so from a distance, 10 lepers cried out and said, Jesus, would you heal us, please? And Jesus turned and told them what to do, and they went off to do what he told them to do. Nine of them, from what we know, never came back. But one did. One came back. One came back and, and, and came to Jesus and thanked him and embraced him. The other nine only knew Jesus from a distance. They never knew Jesus close up. Only one. What's your relationship like with Jesus? Do you know him from a distance? Jesus, would you help me? I need to be healed. I need to feel comfortable. I need Jesus. Do you know him from a distance and you just ask him for the things you need? Or, or do you know him intimately? Have you considered everything else rubbish? See, that's what our text says. Paul says, not only that, uh, I consider them rubbish. I have lost all things. For whose sake I have lost all things. I consider everything in my life rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Jesus said, if you abide in me, my word abides in you. Remain in me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. See, in order to gain Christ and be found in him, I need to consider everything else rubbish. The word for there, King James, translates that as dung. It's manure. It's, it's, it's that stuff that you have in your life that in relation to knowing Christ, it's just a big pile of manure. And how many of us take our bag of manure and hold on to it and say it's so special? And that's what Paul's getting at here. He's saying, all of a sudden, I looked at all this stuff and I realized it's just smelly, Can't use that word up here. I don't, I'm not going to hold on to that. I'm going to flush it, right? And I'm going to consider all these self-efforts and all these things that I'm struggling to know. I'm going to consider that rubbish compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So what is it that you spend great effort knowing? You know Sports statistics, you know, uh, what, what do you spend your time reading? What do you spend your time focusing on? What is it that you need to consider rubbish in your life compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ? In your bulletin, I've included a, a poem 
It's entitled Himself. Now, I'm, I'm bringing you poems, and, and some of you are like, poems, really? You know? How many of you spend a lot of time reading poems? Okay? All right. Amen. Not, not many, but some. Okay? Here's the deal. Poems come from a deep place of the heart. And we live in a day and age where communication is 25 characters in a text off the top of our head. Okay? But the depth of communication so that you can fully understand which recycle bin to put these things in. See, the depth of conversation that comes from that comes from the heart. And poetry does that for us. It lets us understand from the heart. And this, this poem by A.B. Simpson, written around the turn of the last century, entitled Himself, gives an idea of the exchange of life. It gives an idea of what it means to move into intimacy from Jesus. Instead of knowing Jesus from a distance, knowing Jesus up close. Once it was the blessing. And A.B. Simpson here is saying, listen, once all I wanted was the blessing of God. But now I just want him. Once it was the feeling. Now it is his word. Once his gifts I wanted, now the giver own. Once I sought for healing, now himself alone. Once t'was painful trying, now tis perfect trust. Once a half salvation, now the uttermost. You see, that's really one of the biggest lines. That's Jesus at a distance. It's a half salvation. It's missing. Once t'was ceaseless holding, now he holds me fast. Once t'was constant drifting, now my anchor's cast. Once t'was busy planning, now it's trustful prayer. Once t'was anxious caring, now he has the care. Once t'was what I wanted, now what Jesus says. Once t'was constant asking, now it's ceaseless praise. Once it was my working, his it hence shall be. Once I tried to use him, Mm. now he uses me. Once the power I wanted, now the mighty one. Once for self I labored, now for him alone. Once I hoped in Jesus, now I know he's mine. Once my lamps were dying, now they brightly shine. Once for death I waited, now his coming hail, and my hopes are anchored, safe within the veil. Do you know Jesus? Are you growing to know him more and more? Have you settled for a half of a salvation? Or have you embraced him fully? Have you considered everything rubbish compared to that? Listen, everything else brings pain and anguish in your life. And, and rejoicing comes by being righteous before God and being intimate with him. Paul finally says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, becoming like him in his death. There's this truth that comes that, that I may know him, that is, the power of his resurrection and participating in his sufferings. It all is wrapped up together. We will have suffering in this world. But are we able to share in the sufferings of Christ? Are we able to take the sufferings that we have and instead of saying, Jesus, take this away. We say, Jesus, hold me. In the midst of what I have, hold me. 
so that the world can see that you hold those who are struggling. You hold those who are suffering if they let you. The power of the resurrection is the power to change our will. I want to know Christ in the power of his resurrection. That's the amount of power that's needed in your life to change your will. It allows you to put off the other things as rubbish and take hold of the things that will allow you to know Jesus. Somehow, to attain the resurrection of the dead. Paul knew that he was going to be with Jesus forever. But he didn't know. Would he be raptured? Would he be there? As he experiences the resurrection of Christ and Christ working through his sufferings, he knew that that was going to be used for him to be able to know Jesus more with absolute certainty that he'd be in his presence when he breathed his last. I wonder, do you know Jesus? Make every effort to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection and his fellowship in your life. Knowing you, Jesus, there's nothing greater. Overwhelm us, Father. Overwhelm us with a sense of Jesus in our lives. Help us to know him. Lord, all the things that we count dear, all the things that we build our, our lives around, the things that we think are making us right before you or, or at least giving us some sort of satisfaction, help us to put those things off in exchange for you. For your glory, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.